Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about fulfillment. We're talking about what does it look like to not only get your game and get it manufactured and get it you know, shipped to your house or shipped somewhere in these giant pallets, but now how do you get it to the backers? How do you get it to the people that actually want to play the game? How do you get it to their table? And we're talking to Toby Truman from Shield Pro Flexible Packaging. Toby, welcome to the show. Howdy do. How are you doing this fine day? Doing great, sir. It's really good to have you on the show. This is very timely because I'm in the process of putting together a Kickstarter campaign right now. I'm trying to figure out the shipping and what the rates are going to be and all this kind of stuff. So I'm very interested in this topic. And I'm super excited when you posted in the Board Game Design Lab Facebook group, you posted all just a really just tons of great information. You sent me an email with tons of great information. And I was like, got to get this guy on the show and talk through these different things because I feel like I'm not the only person in this boat. There's a lot of people thinking, I want to do a Kickstarter. I want to run my own little publishing company. I want to fulfill games. I don't want to lose my shirt. I don't want to go bankrupt doing it. And, that, and that's a, a horror story for a lot of people. You know, they they uh, funded a, a game on Kickstarter. They made a lot of money and then realized that they actually lost a lot of money because they made some pretty key fulfillment and distribution mistakes. And so I just want to talk through this stuff with you. You've got 20 years of experience doing this. You've worked in the corporate world. You, you Now you have your own warehouse and fulfill different things. And so I'm excited to talk to you about this stuff. But before we get into the topic, who are you? How did you get into fulfillment and warehousing and games and all that kind of thing? Um, accidentally. Um, so I, I blew most of my twenties doing things that were not important. Um, as many, many people probably have. And I found myself through a temp agency working for a company here in the U S called dollar general. They are the largest small box retailer. They got ridiculous number of locations. They've got like 15,000 locations. Now they open like a thousand stores a year. And I started sorting papers for them. Um, I would actually take HR records and put them into uh, envelopes. Well, I was apparently the best envelope pusher on the planet. And I was promoted there, I don't know, a few times. Um, I eventually got to the point where I was managing their purchasing department. And one of the core responsibilities of purchasing is... And we're not talking uh, stuff they sell in the stores, but how do we get the supplies that make the stores run to them? And so we would bid, you know, UPS, USPS, DHL, FedEx contracts. Um, and these contracts would typically come up every two or three years. And it was an involved process. Uh, you have the analytics going into it. It's like an MIT lab. Uh, where you actually get down to the nitty-gritty of the average package going out from Dollar General to a store times 9, 10, 12,000 stores at the time, and they're going to average two pounds, one ounce, and how do I take that and get that you know, to its location safely for the least amount of money? Um, Dollar General, as you can probably guess from its name, they do their very, very best to keep down their expenses. So I worked there for about 12 years. Um, the last year that I was there, I started my own little side hustle. And 
probably many of us here making board games are doing the exact same thing. You know, we're trying to figure out how do I get out of the rat race and into something I actually love. So I did that and I started selling survival supplies. I started selling aluminum foil packaging on the internet. Sold on Amazon, sold on eBay. We built our own website. Um, And then a year after I started that business, a television show came on that exploded our business. I went from shipping three totes of mail to literally shipping 23 totes of mail a day. So from, you know, 30 packages a day to several hundred. And so in 2011, I officially left my, my wife thought I was a little nuts, wonderful corporate world, middle management kind of position to set out on our own. And we started out of our basement um, for many, well, actually not many, but for a couple of years, we worked in our basement we ended up having to move into a larger space fairly quickly. Uh, I was bringing in more material than we could reasonably store in our basement. And so we, we upgraded to, you know, a 2300 square foot warehouse. And then, you know, a few years went by. We continued to grow to eventually the point where we needed even more space. So we doubled our space to again to where I am today in little old Lewisburg, Tennessee, uh, about an hour south of Nashville. And we ship out of a nice 6,000 square foot facility today. And we're in the process of thinking about upgrading again. So that's kind of where I was, where I'm at. Um, but we're, we ship about 50,000 packages a year, not all from our location. You know, we ship uh, fulfillment by Amazon. So we'll ship cases of product to Amazon where, where they'll fulfill it. And then we'll ship website orders and we'll ship eBay orders and we'll ship uh, wholesale orders from our warehouse. Yeah, very cool. So you are definitely the person to talk to for this topic. But let, let's let's talk about for a second. How'd you get into game design? So you've been you know working dollar jump. First, first of all, back up. You went from working as a temp to handling <laughs> million dollar deals. <laughs> yes, and, and, I just know, want to point that out for a second. That's awesome. That's amazing. It was it was a big it was a huge huge journey. Um, and I you know I can't tell you how or why. I felt very very blessed that that transition occurred. But every job I did, whether it was putting files into envelopes or helping people with their Excel documents or whatever, just do what you can do to the best of your ability. And eventually, someone will notice. At least that's the hope. Yeah, definitely. This reminds me of a quote I heard Ray Lewis, you know, the veteran NFL linebacker, the Hall of Famer. Something he said a long time ago was, people who want to work hard Greatness will chase them. And I thought hmm. that's such a cool concept, right? That some, so often people try to chase greatness, but it's really the people that just put their head down and just work every single day to the best of their ability. Greatness chases them. And I found that to be just a really cool way to live your life. And actually, I was talking to a, one of the seniors in my uh, English class the other day. And he, he asked me, he was asking me about greatness. And we were talking about sports and we we're talking about different things. And he said, what, what do you think about greatness? Like, how do I, how do I become great? And I told him, well, so, uh, here's the deal, man you never achieve greatness. Like you never arrive at greatness. Greatness can only be rented for a day, right? It's not something you can buy. You have to rent it and you have to rent it every single day. And some days you're going to do it and some days you're not, but it's not something you're ever going to achieve. You're always going to 
you know, try to try to gain it day in and day out. And, and so just thinking that that's just kind of how it is. And that's how you go from being attempt to working million dollar deals. It's just putting your head down and working as hard as you can. And, you know, you'll see memes and stuff on Facebook and you'll see people talk about, oh, the world is unfair and this and that. And my my go to quote, similar to yours, is you use a lot of sports metaphors. Um, I've typically not been huge into the sports, but I always my go to quote. And I can't remember who said it at the moment, but the harder I work, the luckier I get. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Luck, luck is where preparation and opportunity meet. You know, you, you can't yes. you can't be lucky if you're not prepared. I mean, I guess every now and then the, the die just rolls your way for whatever reason. But for the most part, it's it's the whole idea. It takes 10 years to be an overnight success. You know, you never <laughs> see behind yes. the scenes of how hard somebody worked to, quote unquote, get lucky that one time. And so, yeah, absolutely. But then. All right. So that, all that was going on. And then you got into game design somehow. Like, how did that happen? Oh, so, well, I, I guess I've been in game design almost all of my life. And I'm guessing a good many of your listeners are probably exactly the same way. Uh, when I was nine years old, I had Playmobil people out and I had just learned about D&D and I was pouring through the books and I would go and I would take my Playmobil guys and I'd have one army on one side and one army on another side and I would paste numbers on the back of all of these little Playmobil people and I'd keep track of their armor class and hit points and some people would be higher levels than others. And so I've been doing some kind and mostly playing but i've started really getting into the development uh, about the 2010s right about this time i started my business i all we my wife and i we love side hustles and so we're always trying to think well what can i create to be an ancillary part of my business and i did not think there were a lot of great survival games out and since that was kind of the focus of my business at that point I started and some friends and I started thinking about how do we actually turn, you know, some of these ideas into a game. And so I've had, I've actually had game design documents built since about 2012 from massive, massive, you know, Facebook games to some very, very large, uh, big box survival games. And, but listening to you, has kind of changed and and some of the other podcasts and reading out there we've decided to go small let's do something very 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 small and actually produce it instead of talking about producing it and then we can look at making something bigger yeah very cool and and again i think it comes up on the show a lot is do do something you know you can complete and then get that momentum. You know, it's that, that whole it's law of so physics. So important. Yes. Absolutely. Law of physics. Objects in motion stay in motion. So what does it take to get yourself in motion? And I think just, you know, starting small is, is the best way to do it. And it's it's really cool to see how so games and fulfillment are now coming together to make this perfect storm for what we're going to be talking <laughs> about today. And let's get into it. First of all, what is fulfillment? Let's get a good little working definition of what that term even means. Fulfillment is the object of getting something from one place to its final destination. So the fulfillment process for a Kickstarter board game may go, you know, from a where a manufacturer in China to a ship dock to my warehouse and then out to my final customers. Um, in many cases, you know, there can be fewer steps in the process. There can be more steps in the process. For example, I mentioned earlier, 
I send, you know, thousands and thousands of, of units of inventory to Amazon to fulfill on my behalf. Uh, so fulfillment can look different ways, but it's basically getting something from here to there. Gotcha. And why is this such an important thing to talk about, especially as board game designers, as as potential publishers, as potential Kickstarter uh, campaign runners and things like that? Why is this, why is this important to discuss? The main reason, number one, it's, it's, a, it, there is a customer service aspect to it, but f- honestly, it's an expense from an expense standpoint, fulfillment can cost as much or more than the actual manufacturing of your product. So if I've got a game, you know, they try to do the, the 20% rule, the 25% rule. So if I've got a $30 game and it costs me $6 to manufacture, guess what? It's going to cost you more than $6 to ship and fulfill that product. So waiting till the last minute is probably something we don't want to do because the expense is similar or more than what you're looking at to actually create your product. Yeah, that's a really good point. And something we were talking about before we started recording is how unfortunate it is and how often it is that a, a, a Kickstarter project will wait, you know, that person who's run that campaign will wait until the end of, of some certain parts of the, the process before they even start figuring out the shipping even though it's going to cost the same or more than what they're going to pay the manufacturer in China. And so it's like, it doesn't make sense to wait and only spend a little bit of time on this when it's going to cost you maybe 50% of your overall expenses. That is, that is absolutely the truth. And I, I hate corpse speak, but one of the things that Dollar General taught me, and they, they did teach me a lot of great things, begin with the end in mind. Do not start thinking about your packaging and your shipping when your project is done. Um, one of the things that your your Facebook group has taught me and has, has pointed me to, a lot of times having a constraint can also help you refine your product. So it's like if I know my product is going to be an approximate size, well, let's find the appropriate shipping mechanism for it at the very beginning, and then I can know, ah, I have got to do this. I have to fit it in this 10 by 7 by 4.7 inch box. And so this piece is not going to work. That board is not going to work. Yeah, absolutely. And as game designers, I think it's so important to think about this. Even if you don't want to uh, publish the games yourself, even if you want to approach other publishers about doing it, is to have this idea in mind. That way you can say, hey, I've already been thinking about the product this game is going to be. And here's why the board is this size. Here's why there's this many cards, not that many cards, because it'll fit in this box, which make it easy to fulfill, easy to distribute, easy and cheaper to ship. And one, that tells them that you're you're thinking big picture, which they're going to like. But two, it makes your game more likely to get signed because you're, you're, you're telling them, I can make you money and I can save you money. And that's one of the best ways to get a job or keep a job is to make a company money or to save them money. And so I think that's just a, a good way to begin the, the process. Yes. And, you know, that's one thing to consider. And one of the, the biggest things, and I tell this story fairly often about Dollar General. So they have over $300 million a year of shrink. And that means people walking away with product, you know, this and that. But if I can cut that shrink from $300 million to $200 million, you may say, well, you've only saved this $15 billion company a hundred million dollars but that's actually 20 percent of their net profit so when you save on the expense 
side, you're putting money into your pocket on a one-to-one basis. Whereas when you sell a product, if I sell my $30 product and I only make $5 at the end of the day, well, in order to save that same amount of money, dollar or, or sell products, Dollar General needs to sell something on the order of $2 billion worth of products to generate the same dollar benefit. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's another thing to think about. Okay, so if my game costs 10 bucks to manufacture and ship, right? Or, or, or I make 10 bucks. Let's say I make 10 bucks in profit to manufacture and ship and then sell the game, make 10 bucks, right? How many people do I have to, how many more backers do I have to get yeah. versus how much money can I save and, and just working out those numbers. So talk to me a little bit about that. That's something you mentioned. I don't know if it's on Facebook or in the emails, but you mentioned just the, the ratio and thinking through that side of things. Yes. So for example, so, and I've, I've looked at a lot of board games since we started discussing this podcast. And for example, and I did, I did quite a few cost benefit analysis where if I've done a Kickstarter and I've sold 7,500 copies of a game and I looked at a couple of games that, you know, they were up there and that's a, that's a, a modest size Kickstarter for me, that'd be an enormous size Kickstarter. And obviously for some people it'd be a tiny one, but for example, in some of the packages that I have received from these Kickstarters, I can punch that into my shipping system. So I take this, uh, so I have I have a game that was 14 inches by 14 inches by about three inches. And so when I punch that into my shipping system at its weight, it cost anywhere between 15 and 20 bucks to ship because it was a pretty heavy game. Well, if I use a nice USPS flat rate package, well, then I can ship this same game, assuming it was designed to fit in that packaging for about 20% less. So if I can save $3 per unit, and this is this is common. It's not like this is, you know, wow, that's a pretty rare example. No, these were very, very common when I was looking these up. Well, $3 at 7,500 units, that sounds an awful lot like $22,500 to me. And I don't know about you, but on, but on a $200,000 Kickstarter, pocketing an additional $22,000 that seems like a good idea to me. Yeah, you might call that statistically significant. That is statistically significant. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm excited to talk through, all right, how do, we, how do we do this? How do we help people save money? How do we make sure they're, they're not overspending for shipping, that kind of thing? But first of all, let's, let's back up just a little bit and talk about the different stages of the process. So give me some of like the big picture fulfillment areas that fulfillment is happening. So the game is manufactured in China and versus all the way at the end, the game is on somebody's table. Walk me through just the different parts of that road. Okay, so the game is manufactured in China, and depending on where you are in China, they can either ship it out of Shanghai, or there's a lot of manufacturing in Guangzhou, and I'm probably butchering some of these names, but they'll basically put it on a truck, they'll take it to the port, and then depending on where you are in the U.S., that port will ship it to... A lot of stuff, like a lot of my stuff, used to come into the port of uh, L.A. There's a couple of ports there. Um, then they would ship by train to Nashville. They would get off the train, and they would take that cargo container and put it on a truck to actually ship it to me at my warehouse. 
And then from my warehouse, I, I'm one of those. There's a lot of people who will ship directly to a final destination from Asia. I am not one of those people. I have to see my product. I have to know that it's boxed appropriately. I have to know that it's going to get to the final customer in a manner that is appropriate. And so everything that I do comes into my warehouse so I can see it. So depending on where you are, you are like a lot of our stuff now comes in to Atlanta. So that means that typically you'll go through the Panama Canal down near y'all. Some very rare occasions we can do the, I guess that would be the Western route and come into New York or someplace like that. So you have a lot of stops along the way, and they call it intermodal. So if I go from uh, from a boat to a train to a truck to my warehouse, that's an intermodal method of transporting my product to me. Gotcha. And so all along the way, am I am I paying one company to do this? Am I paying multiple? Like, how does the the cost break down? My recommendation is to use a forwarder. Again, some people will will try to save pennies by trying to do this themselves. And there are some people in the industry, uh, the Jamie Stegmeyers of the world, who are probably at the point where they can do all of that stuff themselves. A new game designer, do not. Do not do it. I'm, I'm telling you. Um, I actually did work some of my own shipments by myself. And I would, I probably spent... 30 or 40 hours bringing a single shipment over. Now I would rather pay a, a basically what's called a freight forwarder a thousand dollars to handle it all and get it to my door. So while I can, if I wanted to go to China and bring something over, it's not, I would rather not spend that time when I can spend that time doing something that I'm better at. So let a freight forwarder, who is better at it than you are, bring that product to your door. Gotcha. And so the forwarder will handle all the way from the factory to the warehouse or to my house. That kind of thing. That is correct. That is correct. If you are shipping to your house, make sure you let them know that the final leg is going to require a lift gate. Because if they drive out there and they don't have a lift gate and you're in a residential area, they will charge you $75. They will drive away and they will have to come back tomorrow. Gotcha. That's a really good thing thing to know. All right. And now, so one thing you, you said is you want to have the, the packages at your house as opposed to, or at your warehouse, as opposed to sending them direct from Asia to you know people who bought it. Now, I'm assuming that adds an extra cost, but that, that's got to be a, a breakdown of, of being worth more money than you're, than you're spending. So tell me about that. Sure. And I, and I honestly, I'm one of those, I look at that math. I don't look at it just from a single shipment. I look at it that on all of my shipments. So, for example, if I have a wholesale customer in California where I could potentially save, I don't know, a a bunch of money by shipping them directly, I'll typically still bring it to my warehouse. And here's why. Most of my wholesale orders will be pallets. And so the cost to bring a pallet over from Asia is about one third the cost of bringing an entire container over from Asia. So a container is typically a 20 cubic foot box where you can put a lot of stuff. So I can fit 20 times the amount of product into a container 
than I can on a pallet at a cost that's only three times the cost of bringing over an entire pallet. So to me, I look at the cost benefit there of saying, I'm getting such a great rate bringing over a huge volume of stuff that I'm willing to you know, pay the $200 it's going to cost me to ship that one pallet to its final destination. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. And you, you can also check to make sure it's not dinged up. It's not ripped. It's actually what you ordered as opposed to having to fix all that on the back end. And that is actually, that's one of the main benefits because if my manufacturer in, in Asia does something wrong, well, I want to know about it earlier rather than later, because at the end of the day, if I pay to get that single pallet shipped and it's wrong, well, now I'm paying even more to get that situation resolved. So interestingly enough, one of the one of my best-selling products on the packaging side was a mistake from the manufacturer. So while I couldn't actually sell it as it was intended to be, I was able to sell it and ended up selling a lot more of it because I had my hands on it, I looked at it, I said, wow, this is not something that I can use for X, but I can use it for Y, and I really am cheap. So I did want to find a way to dispose of that product without losing my shirt. So if you have, you know, board games that come in and two thirds of them don't have all the components, well, wouldn't you rather, you know, resolve that in your facility than saying, oh, well, now I've got to reprint the entire game because some manufacturers they'll if they're dealing with a reputable one will do that but some of them will say well it would be great if i could ship you the missing pieces and if you put them in i will take x dollars off the cost of that shipment and so having that in-house before it gets to a customer number one saves you a ton of face because you're not shipping a broken game so there's a there's a lot of benefits. And again, there are people that regularly ship products directly from Asia to the end customer. I'm just not one of them. Gotcha. Now, do you have any recommendations on specific forwarding companies? I use a company called Star Asia, and they have been very, very good to me. Um, they're better on the full container loads than they are on the individual. But I'm at the point where I, I only ship full containers. Um, so I typically, and I use, you know, if you go to freightquote.com from the, from a pallet shipping perspective in the U S you won't find much better freight rates anywhere in the U S than going to that website from a standpoint of shipping pallets. Gotcha. Freightquote.com. That is one I am definitely going to uh, write down and look at uh, myself as I'm working on, on this Kickstarter campaign. Yeah. Right, so go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, for example, you can typically get a pallet shipped from here to there almost anywhere in the U.S. for anywhere between 190 and 290 or 300 bucks. Whereas if you take the business card of a nice shipping company, they'll say, we can get you the, the best rate. And then you call them up and they'll say, it's going to be $650 to ship that pallet. So in, in no case have I ever had a walk-in given me a better rate than freight quote. 
Yeah, absolutely. And like, like is the case in so many things, competition typically brings you the, the best price. And so that seems like it's almost like a travelocity for, for shipping, huh? Yes, that is exactly what it is. That is exactly what it is. So what will happen is if a company simply doesn't have enough business or it's got, it's got half-filled trucks, they'll want to give you an even better than market rate because they want to ship that truck full from the Nashville hub to the LA hub, for example. And so they're willing to give you a great rate to get all that fractional business. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So it's really a win-win. They're winning because, you know, they're filling up those trucks and they're making money, you know, not, they're not losing money necessarily, but they're, they're making money yeah. on the, what would have been just empty space, right? It's almost like an airline that's trying to fill seats there on the last day or something it's, like it's that. It's exactly the same thing as that. Yes. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. All right. So we've mentioned a couple missteps so far as far as waiting to the, too late, waiting till the end to start figuring out the shipping rates and things like that. What are some other missteps that you've seen companies make, small publishers make as far as fulfillment and shipping? So under undercharging is one of the biggest. So a lot of times these small publishers will go look and they'll try to estimate without a physical product in hand what a product is going to cost to ship. And I will tell you, do not do that. If you have a prototype, whether you've gotten it at the Game Crafter or wherever, have a physical box in hand before you estimate. And there's been a couple of famous instances of Kickstarters misquoting their shipping in a big way to the point of taking a profitable project and, as you had mentioned, to an extremely unprofitable project. So do your due diligence and get your product in hand before you estimate your shipping. Yeah. Now, when I do that, let's say I do order a prototype from the Game Crafter and I find out it, it weighs 4.7 pounds, something like that. All right. What's next? How do I, how do I really figure out what this game is going to cost? Uh, you know, maybe in different countries, different states, that kind of thing. What's, like, where do I go for that? Okay. So my, I'll just tell you, my expertise is in U.S. shipping. And there are, there are guys who are going to be like me in Europe and in other countries that are going to be better at their specific rates. Because there's a lot of moving parts between UPS and USPS and DHL and FedEx. There are a ton of moving parts. So find someone in your appropriate country if you're not in the U.S. But I'll speak to the U.S. end of that question. So there are two ways where that the two main factors are the cube of your product, what is the shape of your product, how many cubic inches does it take up, and the weight of your product. Now, most people are familiar with weight. They, you know, they're like, well, this is a five pound box, so I'm going to go look up UPS's rate, and then it's, you know, 19 bucks from here to Colorado. Um, but typically... For small publishers specifically, USPS has what's known as cubic rates, meaning they have boxes that you can actually order from the USPS. They will arrive on your doorstep ready for you to put your board game in, and you're actually saving packaging money that way too. And they will ship based on cube. So for example, I have a ton of, I have about four Kickstarters at my office. They are 11.625 inches squared and three inches deep. Now those products will all fit into a medium flat rate, 11.78 by three and a half by 13 and a half 
USPS box, and they will ship for a flat rate of $12.80. I guarantee you, if you take that same game and you, you've created a nice, beautiful game and it weighs five or six pounds and you try to put that into the UPS site, most of the time, UPS will be more expensive because they're based more on weight than these cubic boxes. So like, for example, the UPS, I did some, and I pretended I was like just going to their website and stuff. So I didn't have the rates that we currently have. And you can spend up to 20 bucks shipping that same package UPS. Now there's an additional point to take into consideration. And that's the fact that even these cubic boxes, while they're great from a standpoint of knowing how I need to design my game and shipping it in a reasonably cost-effective fashion, we at our warehouse use something called best rate shipping. I mean, I actually compare all of the rates. I compare UPS, I compare cubic rates, I compare weight-based rates, and there's for example that same $12.80 game that I shipped through a USPS medium flat rate box if it's in the state right next to me shipping it weight based will actually be less expensive so if you want an ease of use thing yes use a use medium flat rates across the board for example um but if you're willing to put in some work or you're willing to email me and I can kind of let you know how this process works, then you can save even more money by by shipping each item in its most cost-effective manner, if that made any sense. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like a lot of this is the more you're, you're willing to do some due diligence, the more you're willing to put in a little bit of time on the front end, the more money you can save on the back end, the fewer headaches, the fewer mistakes, that kind of thing. Because, I mean... Again, with it scales, right? The problem scales. So if you make a dollar mistake yes. per game, yes. and then you have ten thousand backers, well, you just made a ten thousand dollar mistake. Or if you could have saved a dollar per game and you sent out ten thousand games, you, you just lost potential ten thousand dollars. And so I feel like it's just something to be aware of and, and do that. Put that time in on in the early stages. That way you're not one losing everything on the back end because shipping, you know, cost you more than you even made as as profit. And, and it just it just makes things better better overall. And then that's the absolute truth. And honestly, it can come down to as little, it, it, it can come down to a change that could have been made earlier in the process. So you can actually, so for example, I talk about the medium flat rate box. That's just a box that's available at every post office. It holds 546 cubic inches of stuff. Well, for example, and I, I'm just going to pull up my Axis and Allies, the new version of, of Axis and Allies, it's shaped weird. It's 506 cubic inches, but it's really long. It's got a giant spacer in it. They could have cut that box down to probably 400 cubic inches and fit into this medium flat rate box. Like I actually quoted uh, someone um, trying to, to help them with a Kickstarter and said... If you just take a quarter, literally a quarter inch off of the side of this box, then you will save $4 a unit on your shipping. Wow, that's crazy. And again, four, mm-hmm. $4 a unit times 1000 
four grand. You know what I mean? Yes. It's just it's a lot of money. <laughs> and this particular Kickstarter, it's it's active now and it's doing very, very well. So I really think they're going to hit five or 6,000 units. Wow, that's crazy. That is so much money. And like you're saying, just, yeah. just a little change or just a little bit of a constraint or just taking a little bit of the air out of a box. You know, so many boxes nowadays are way too big compared to how yeah. much stuff comes in the box. And it's just something to think about. Like, yeah, I guess it stands out on the shelf a little bit better. But on the, the flip side, it probably costs you a lot more to ship. And so it's just you, you're trying to balance those things out. Like you want it to stand out. You want it to look good on that store shelf, but you also want it to be cheap to fulfill. And so you just got to think through what, it, you know, what that looks like. Absolutely. That is absolutely true. Um, and, and I was I talked about this a little before the show. I almost think that some of these game companies need to look at having one version for a store and a you know that they're shipping by the pallet to a distributor and one version for uh, e-commerce distributors you have people like uh troll and toad and you have cool stuff inc and you have these people who probably would enjoy a box that takes out all of that air that you talk about and simply putting it in the absolutely smallest cubic inch space that you possibly can they'd probably make like someone like cool stuffing probably make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year extra if if they could get boxes designed that way yeah that's a really good point now let's kind of switch gears just a little bit one thing i, I noticed in my last game campaign and this is something that i had a, had a friend helping me with the logistics a guy that had shipped and, and fulfilled several games in the past kickstarters and so he really knew what he was doing he was helping me out and one thing we had to account for were the changes in shipping rates year to year and so talk to me about yeah. how the shipping rates change, why they change, what that looks like. Give me a good percentage. Like, should I, should I account for a 10% jump just in case? Like if I'm, you know, if my game is funding in October, but I'm not shipping until the following year, I have to account for the changes in shipping. So like, tell me about that. Oh, yeah, that, that is absolutely something you have to take into consideration. It is guaranteed that every shipper will raise their rates every year. Now, some will do it more than others, and the USPS is famous for doing even a little more juggling of their rates than, for example, UPS or FedEx. Like UPS or FedEx, you may see a 5 or 7% bump every year. Uh, the one thing you also have to watch out for with UPS and FedEx is they have accessorial charges, and these are charges that they're going to charge you depending on the location of the, the final destination of your package. So, for example, the United States, if you look at it on a map, has a bazillion square miles of open space. So if you live anywhere more than, say, 70 miles from a major UPS hub, you will be hit with either one or two accessorial charges, which can account for $6.00 of a shipment. So even if you go to the UPS wait table and the wait table tells you, oh, that's only going to cost me $12 to ship because it's, you know, it's only two states away, that accessorial charge is bringing that final rate to $18. And if you have not taken that into account in your Kickstarter, you are going to take a bath. Um, so back to your original question, but I thought that was important. Uh, yes, count, I would, I would, count on a 10% increase so that if it's only 8%, you're going to be fine. But for example, some years USPS will raise 
this particular box, only 2%, which is great. And they did that last year for one of my largest USPS boxes. But another USPS box can go up 14%, which also happened last year. So yes, you have absolutely got to be aware that if you have a game going into manufacturing more than a year out, you have to take into that extra into account that extra shipping. Gotcha. All right, so let's kind of keep talking about USPS. Let's get into the specific numbers, right? As far as mm-hmm. length by width by height, you know, like talk to me specifically. So if I'm designing a game right now, give me the numbers so that it'll fit inside one of those boxes so I can save some money. Okay, so I'm going to give you actually two numbers. So if you do a game, so I'm going to give you some examples. So Mistfall, In the Name of Odin, and This War of Mine all have an 11 and 11.625 by 11.625 by 3 footprint. That is a good footprint. It is 405 cubic inches. It will fit in the medium flat rate box, which is 11.875 inches by 3.375 inches by 13 by 625 inches. So that's a a good game with a decent sized board, uh, a lot of, you know, maybe some figures, a bunch of rule books, a bunch of cards. And those games typically weigh in the four to six pound range. But the nice thing about it is you still have room to spare. So in that medium flat rate box, because it's cube based and not weight based, if you're designing, I don't know, for example, RPGs and you're doing one of these and they're actually fairly popular on Kickstarter now, you can get a lot of material into that box. So you can potentially, I ship some stuff that where I can get 10 or 11 pounds into a medium flat rate box. And I guarantee you someone doing their own fulfillment is probably going to spend just about 20 bucks on average to ship that UPS. So that's the larger one. Now here's an interesting, here's the box I was going to tell you about that we were talking about before the show. And now this is something that's not regularly available at your post office, but you can go to the post office online and order it. And when you were talking about trying to keep your game under two pounds, here's why I say I don't know that you need to worry about it. So they have what are called regional rates, boxes. So they have a region A box and they have a region B box. Now a region A box will ship at approximately the two pound weight from your location to any location in the US. What that means is if I'm gonna pay 750 to get a two pound box from here to Atlanta, well, this region A box I can fit of the stuff that we sell every day, seven, eight and nine pounds into this region A box at a two pound rate. Well, that's pretty phenomenal. Now they have two sizes, and I'm hoping one of these will fit your game. Uh, The first one is 10 inches by 7 inches by 4.75 inches. It's kind of a rectangular box. And then they have a, a, a longer box that we use at our warehouse a lot. It's the most common box we use. It's 11 inches. It's actually 10.94 inches by 2.375 inches by 12.8125 inches. And when you can ship, you know, say you say you decided you wanted to add some cards to your game and it's now four pounds, you can ship it at a USPS two pound rate. 
Gotcha. And so tell me about region A or region B. What exactly does that mean? So, so if basically they use it to tell you how much it's going to cost in relation to regular priority mail. So for example, the region A rate is going to be what you spend for a two pound box to anywhere. So it's, they're going to charge you a two pound rate, whether you're going to Atlanta, Georgia or Juneau, Alaska. So whereas normally you'll see a gigantic range of rates with regular USPS or any any fulfillment company, UPS, FedEx, you're going to see a scaled rate based on two pounds. The region B is a scaled rate, meaning it costs me $10.60 to ship in a region B from Nashville to Colorado but I can fit literally 15 pounds in that box. So it's a four pound rate to anywhere in the United States. Wow. Yeah, this is this is great. I mean, I think this is something people just aren't aware of. I, I had no idea this was the case. And this is a way to save a ton of money. And, and like you're saying, not and not have to worry too much about going from 1.9 to 2.1 pounds, which normally you have to worry about, Correct. right? When you hit that next threshold. You do. You absolutely do. Because a, a difference, like, for example, if you go from first class to over a pound USPS, you can literally double your rate. Yeah, definitely. This is something I ran into when I was fulfilling my book uh, and something I, I wanted to add so many more chapters. I was like, gosh, I can put stretch goals <laughs> and I can add all these extra pages. Yep. And I started having to think, well, how much is this book going to weigh? And I had to limit the number of stretch goals because it was going to have too many pages. It was going to go into that next threshold of, of medium mail shipping and it was going to cost me an extra, I don't know, it was like a dollar twenty yep. or something like that. And I was like, wow, that's that's nope, that's not good. Uh, no more stretch goals. That is the final stretch goal. Yeah. Audio book. You know, media, media mail is the lowest yeah. possible USP. Most, most like don't be a certain company and fulfill your game board game media mail because your <laughs> board game is not. Media mail. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, that was, I don't know if it's illegal from a law standpoint, but it's definitely, no, no, and I, no. Yeah. but it's, it's definitely the USPS is technically allowed to open all media mail packages. And honestly, I have found that a lot of post offices will open your media mail packages to ensure that you're shipping only books, obviously all of the things, periodicals, records that are compatible with media mail. Right. And then if they find out that you have shipped a game media mail, they charge the end receiver, right? So if they'll, they'll charge the, the yes. backer the extra money when they receive the game, right? Now, interestingly enough, they don't just charge the extra money. So say you paid $4 to ship at media mail when it's not supposed to be media mail. They'll charge four pounds priority mail, the full dollar amount, 15, 20 bucks. Um, if you've shipped it in the wrong manner, do not ship things in the wrong manner. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Cause again, and that's the backer that has to pay, right? That is the backer that has to pay. There is no better way to make backers angry than to force them to have to write a check they've already written. Absolutely. Because of something that you knowingly did yes. wrong as well. Correct. It's not even like, oh, that I made a mistake. Correct. Like, no, you tried to cheat the system and you got that caught. Yeah. And now the backer has to pay for it, which is a, a, a terrible situation. That does not make them want to back your next project. You know? No, and they won't. And they, they'll probably, you know, not only are they not going to back you, they're probably going on social media and telling people all about it. Yeah, definitely. And so you're not just going to lose them as a potential fan, as a potential customer. You're going to lose a lot more than that, you know, just by, by trying to save a few dollars or because you screwed up the shipping on the front end. You're, now you're 
now you're bankrupt. <laughs> yeah. And so that is, that is correct. Yep. Yes. All right. Well, let me ask you this about my like specific game. So my game box right now is three and a half by five and a half by two, which is a lot smaller than the the numbers you hmm. just gave me. And so like, what, yep. what should I do? Like in my specific case, what, uh, what route should I take? Um, so it, that's interesting because as a game designer, you typically believe in the more is less standpoint. If you're comfortable with that box, then I would still put it in a region A. That's still going to be the cheapest way for you to, if you're fulfilling it by yourself, that's still going to be the ch- cheapest way to do it. You're going to have to add some packaging material, but it might be a good opportunity to offer some awesome upgrades for your Kickstarter campaign because you know you have so much more room where you won't even see a rate increase. Yeah, that's a really good point. And so, all right, so my game, there's two versions. There's a, it's a solo game, but there's two different ways to play and have very different theme, very different mechanisms, but the same kind of core concept of the game. And so I could put two, I could put both versions of the game in one of those boxes. I could put some sleeves. I could potentially put a a rolled up player mat. And so all the add-ons, I could throw those in the same box and I don't incur any more shipping costs. That is, And that is absolutely one of the best things, especially if you have a real small game. Some of them with the backer bonuses end up a little bit larger or quite a bit larger. So yes, you could have a lot of add-ons. And I'm a guy, I love, I love get top, I love backing the top end game. Yeah, absolutely. And so I just got to make sure my player mat doesn't extend past the the 12.8, you know, uh, inches as far as that. Okay, very cool. That's something definitely to, uh, to keep in mind. All right, let's change gears just a little bit. Let's talk about tracking. Talk to me about tracking. Is, is tracking involved in a lot of the things we're talking about right now? Is that an extra cost? First of all, what is tracking, just in case somebody doesn't know? And then uh, the cost. Tracking is simply the way the, the shipping company is knows where your package is at all time. Now, most of the time, USPS is the least, and I'm not going to say accurate. I don't have a lot of USPS packages go missing, but they have the fewest tracking points. But even still, if I ship something from here to L.A., it will tell me it was picked up at the post office, it was scanned in at the post office, it was shipped to, and it may actually ship from my location in Nashville to Atlanta, even though that's in the wrong direction, checked in at the Atlanta shipping center, and then flown to L.A., checked in at at the L.A. distribution branch, then it'll say it's out for delivery and your customer will say, okay, I'm supposed to expect this by 10 PM. And obviously most carriers don't run till 10 PM, but that's typically what the USPS tells you. So tracking is simply the mechanism where you as a customer are able to keep track of where your package is. Um, in most cases tracking, and, and I will say in all cases, tracking is free. But what I will say is they offer you additional tracking options so for example many times like if you're on amazon and you're shopping for something you'll know you're not going to be home if a package is going to ship signature meaning it's going to require a signature of someone and you are not home they will not leave that package with your laptop or your very expensive product on your doorstep i would say for Probably almost all of these Kickstarter board game campaigns, no one wants signature tracking. 
Number one, it's quite expensive. It's about $2 a clip. And number two, a lot of us work and these Kickstarters are pretty big. So the box is not going to fit in our mailbox. Most of the time, the USPS or UPS will drop it off in front of our door, um, which is what we want so that when I get home from work, I can play my game. Gotcha. And so going back to the region A, region B, and and some of these specific types of USPS things, is tracking included? Tracking is always included. See, the only the only shipping method for USPS that doesn't include tracking is certain kinds of first class. Um, everything else includes tracking. Okay, awesome. Now, switching gears a little bit, let's talk international. So let's say I have, mm-hmm. you know, a few hundred people, maybe a few thousand people, depending on the side of the project, uh, that back from the EU, Australia, Asia. Now, what do I have to think about? Uh, so, and then, and then again, this is where I will say, I am not the expert here. What I will say is, especially if you have a few thousand, you need to be talking with a shipping specialist or a fulfillment house in that individual country. Uh, because we've also heard horror stories about, for example, if I don't take into account that when I'm shipping my Kickstarter from the U.S. to the EU, then just like the I might have to pay the USPS if I've shipped something wrong, that customer is going to have to pay that VAT fee or whatever it's called there because you didn't take that into account. So from my understanding, the best practice is if you ship something, for example, you can get your, your stuff fulfilled by Amazon if you want to. That is one method where you could send a pallet of stuff to... Amazon in Germany or Amazon in Great Britain, and then you don't have to worry about VAT because it's originating, the originating location of your package is within the EU. And then you basically upload a list of addresses into Amazon and they fulfill all your stuff for you. But I would always recommend if you have especially that many, you know, you can you can get away with shipping in some of this USPS flat rate packaging to other places in the world, but it is very, very expensive. And so you, your best bet will be to ship pallets to the appropriate country. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing to take into account, depending on when you're listening to this episode, is Brexit and what that's going to do, because nobody really knows. Yeah. They're still trying to figure out what that's going to nope. look like. And so also make sure you take that into account. That is true. And in my opinion, it's going to it's going to be less than more. But that's just my prediction. And we'll know here at the end of October. Yeah, hopefully we'll see. (laughs) All right. So are there any other missteps, any other things that kind of stick out in your mind? Anything else that you want to make sure people are thinking about or they're aware of? I think we've covered we've covered a lot of it. Um, again, I would go back to the UPS accessorial charges. Uh, It's one of those things that people even on the UPS website, they're not going to know. You have to understand what those are going to look like prior to your shipment. Um, otherwise, again, with the U.S. being such a massive country and with so much of it being rural, you could really get killed there. Um, one thing to also consider is when you're picking a fulfillment company you know, if you pick someone in the middle of the country, you potentially might get a little bit better rate or someone that can ship from multiple locations uh, because they can get better rates because they can divide up your project into locations that are very close to where you're fulfilling 
and get a you know you can get a pretty fantastic rate with someone who has multiple locations. Yeah, that's a really good point. Now let's let's talk about that just for a second. What are the pros and cons of just hiring a fulfillment company to do it versus trying to do it out of my basement? Now here's and this is this is a, actually a pretty a pretty straightforward question. So if the product is not going to fit into USPS packaging, a fulfillment company will always be less and it will probably even cover the fee that you're going to pay the fulfillment company and still be less than you can do it yourself. So for example, if you if you call me up and say I want to ship a thousand packages and we're going to go UPS and how much are you going to charge? And I'm going to say, I don't know, it's going to be, you know, 12, 13, 14 bucks. Um, Typically, even with our fee built in or with any of these fulfillment companies' fees built in, they're going to get a a lower rate UPS or FedEx than you are going to get, period, by at least $2, which is typically what most fulfillment companies are going to charge you. Typically, it's $2 to ship a package, and then depending, there might be some pick and pack there, depending on how complex the package they're building for you is. So if if you have an odd size box, if you have a really large box, use a fulfillment company, there's no doubt. Um, I would only do my own Kickstarter if I was going to do USPS packaging. Gotcha. So with the USPS, you can potentially save more, even though you're not getting yes. the discounts yes. from, you know, because I guess these fulfillment companies are like yourself, you get better rates because you ship so much. So you get this bigger discount. Right? But with USPS, I can potentially save more money if I'm using the flat rates than, you know, using a fulfillment. That is absolutely true. And and, and one thing to consider, though, is it may seem simple to ship a thousand boxes. You're just going to say, oh, I'm just going to do it. Well, <laughs> If you're not quite sure of what you're doing, I would always test ahead of time. I would ship 10 packages to my grandma, or I would ship some test games out to, you know, board game review groups, just so you understand what you're getting into. Because shipping a thousand packages from your basement is possible, and I can tell you because I did it, but it can be a little more difficult then you know. But at the end of the day, if you're willing to put the work in, then yes, you can you can save a ton of money by shipping it yourself. USPS. Oh. Yeah, and this is something I can speak from experience with with my book. You know, for all the US backers, I've fulfilled that myself over the summer. I spent a couple of weeks, you know, and, and it's hateful. It is hateful work. <laughs> like for, yes. for sure. But I did save a good bit of money not going through a fulfillment company because I was using media mail, you know, because I was doing it myself. I had yes. a friend, a couple of friends that came in. I just paid them, you know, 10 bucks an hour to help me package things and label things. And I use stamps.com. So I got some decent rates as far as that goes yep. and was able to just print it all out. But you also have to deal with all the problems, you know, when somebody didn't give you the right address. So it gets it comes back to you and now you got to figure out, okay, well now what do I need to do to fix that? Or when stamps.com's website goes down, which it happened to me three or four times and it prints more labels than it was supposed to because the system got yes. screwed up and it charged you for every single reprint, even though it shouldn't have, you got to deal with that. So there's a lot of extra stuff you have to deal with. You just have to balance out. Is it worth it or not? Yes. And that is true. There, there are, there are some nuances there, especially with the with the double charges, because if you don't catch those, you're again, you can take an absolute bath. 
Yeah, definitely. And there were a handful of backers that received two books because I didn't catch them all. And they were like, well, what do I do now? And I was like, well, Merry Christmas in July, I guess. Just give it to somebody else and, and don't worry about it. But, you know, luckily it wasn't that many, maybe 10 or so total yep. that I didn't catch. And the rest of them I was able to get refunds, which is nice. But it's, it's just there's a lot more to it. And yeah, and, and especially with books. You know, and, just, go ahead. just a simple piece of advice. When you get your CSV file from your Kickstarter, sort it by name. Because sometimes, you know, when you go to, to upload something, if you say, why do I see this person's name there three times? Or you can fix a lot of problems on the front end if you if you just take a look at the data you're getting. Yeah, absolutely. And if stamps.com or whoever, you know, if they're messed, if it gets messed up, in theory, yep. those are going to be next to each other. And so it's a lot easier that is to correct. find. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely correct. Yes. And if you just, if you kind of know what you're looking for, you can catch a lot of problems before they cost you money. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Toby, man, this has been awesome. Super informative. I am definitely glad you came on the show. You just, just personally, selfishly, because it's helping me out a lot. Do you have any kind of closing thoughts? Anybody that's maybe on the fence about doing a Kickstarter? Maybe this is the big holdup. Maybe they're just afraid. They've seen the horror stories. They've heard of so many people who have just made so many mistakes and cost themselves so much money because of shipping and fulfillment. Like any kind of closing thoughts for them? I will say just, and, and sorry to quote Nike, but it's like, I've listened to a lot of Gabe's podcasts. I've listened to quite a few other podcasts. I've been doing a lot of research on how to build a game. I'm a firm believer, do something, get off the fence and be willing to fail. And, Cause like I said, I have $50,000 worth of failure in a container outside of my warehouse, but I would not trade it for the world. And so one thing I will say is if you are small and if you need a hand with whatever question you have when it relates to your shipping and fulfillment, send me an email because I have received a ton of value from Board Game Design Lab Facebook group and I would like to pay that forward. And so if you are a thinking about running a small Kickstarter, you are on the fence and you need some help, just right. Uh, one of the things that, you know, I'll say is I like solving problems. So it's like if someone writes me an email and says, you know, I've got this problem and I'm not sure, Google is a friend and I will go Google and I will try to help you in any way I can. But I would say just do it. Just don't worry about failure because you're never going to be successful without some failure. Awesome. And that, that's super generous for you to offer. What is your email address? My email address is, and I don't know whether I should give you the short one or the long one. I'll give you the short, short one. one yeah. uh, and actually, no, I actually set one up for this purpose. It is Toby, T-O-B-Y, at ksfulfillment.com. Cool. That sounds great. Toby at ksfulfillment.com. That's super simple. And, and if you're driving down the road, hopefully you can remember it and yeah. write it down when you get back home or something like that. But uh, that's super generous for you to offer. And I really appreciate that. And I think you're going to, I think you're going to get some takers. I know there are a lot of people in the BGDL community who want to do this thing. They want to do a Kickstarter. They've got a game that's been sitting there for so long. They're like, I want it to come to life. I just don't know uh, some of the answers to these questions. And I, I think they're going to, going to send you a message. That'll be awesome. I will be glad to assist. Thank you so much for hosting this. I, you know, when I started writing notes on BGD, uh, that's a lot of letters. I did not expect this, but it has been great going through your list of podcasts. The amount of information you have available is amazing, especially on your website. 
Yeah, it's my, my absolute pleasure. I really love doing this. And I'm so thankful that other people are getting getting value out of it. And Toby, again, really appreciate your time. Appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with the fulfillment, the warehousing company and all the, the cool stuff you've got and uh, everything else you got going on right now. Very good. Thank you, sir. Have a great afternoon. You too. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?